Well, good morning and welcome. We are wrapping up a series that we started off a few weeks back called Simplify. And the idea behind this series was, is to kind of talk about our lives and say, listen, the lives that you're living, is this the best life you could live? Is this the best way that you can live? And September is many things. It is the looking back over the summer going, okay, I didn't do this and I'm still really pale. Well, some of you, not others of you, right? But I I didn't accomplish what I want to, right? September is the beginning of all our commitments again. Whether it's school, whether it's work, whatever it be, it, it feels like almost like a new year for us. And in September, we also see our schedules, our calendars fill up. And fill up for good things, but just fill up. And so to the point now, by the end of September, the beginning of October, we look back going, okay, I am now booked. Someone says, hey, can we uh, grab coffee? I'm like, yeah, I'm I'm booking for 2019, so let me know when's good for you, right? We are so overscheduled. And the series was really just trying to say, what can we do with our lives to unclutter them? And so let me just recap what we talked about last week before we kind of jump into this week. Last week, we started off by looking at Romans chapter 7. And I said to you, this is probably one of my favorite passages of scripture because this is when Paul the Apostle becomes human for me, right? Because Paul the Apostle in the New Testament, he is this larger-than-life individual, right? The Bible tells us that his shadow would heal people. My shadow doesn't do that. I don't know about your shadow, but his shadow did to the point where people also, when, when Paul would, would mop his head with a cloth, they would take that cloth and lay it on somebody who was sick and they would be healed. I just stink when I sweat. So I, 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 again, I don't know about you, right? So Paul is this person in the New Testament that's so large in life. But when we come to Romans chapter seven, Paul and I kind of sit in the same place going, okay, I get this, right? Because Paul says exactly what we say in our own lives, and I'm paraphrasing, but he says something like this, why do I not do the good things I want to do? We all have great intentions, don't we? We have great intentions of doing good things, of, of serving people, right? But Paul says, why do I do what I don't want to do? Right? And in verses 15 and 19, he has that. But between that, he kind of gives us the answer for why he doesn't do the good things he doesn't do. And he says this it's because there's sin living in my life. And because of that sin, it so skews my decision making process that the things I want to do, the good things I want to do, waking up in the morning and and going jogging or or, or, or praying or, or going to church on or whatever it would be. These things, Paul says, are, are, are robbed from us because of our, our nature to decide to kind of go against what God has. And so we talked last week about our decision-making process, and I posed this question. What if our decision-making process isn't benign, in other words, no spiritual value, but actually a reflection of our true nature? Here's something that's interesting. Sometimes you don't even have to have a conversation with an individual And you'll actually understand what's important to them. And you'll understand what's important to them by what's the things they decide they want to do. Because if we are really honest with ourselves, we always have time and energy for the things that we want to do. We all have to have time and energy for the things that give us pleasure or the things that are fun. The things that we are not fun, things that don't give us pleasure, well, you know, we have to think we have to think differently about that. We have to find time for that. Right? And, and it's, it's amazing to me how much we don't actually look at our decision-making process because in that decisions that we make, we really see who we really are reflected back to us. Last week, we looked at this three concepts of decision-making, right? Things we have to do, things we want to do, things we need to do. And I said to you last week, the things that you have to do, this is the extrinsic motivation in your life, i.e. school and work. 
are two obvious ones. In school, if you do not do the work, you fail. <laughs> Spoiler alert for university students here, okay? Um, that happens, right? Or if you do not show up to work or meet the expectations of work, you're fired. I felt like Donald Trump there. That's bad. Um, but you get the idea, right? Extrinsic motivation is very simple, very easy to spot because somebody else is keeping you accountable for whatever it would be. That's the things you have to do. The things you want to do, this is your intrinsic motivation. So after you're done school, after you're done work, what do you want to do? Is it Netflix? Is it hanging out with your friends? Is it, is it this party? Is it that event? Is it, is it this? Whatever it is, right? In that space of, of your empty space there, what do you program? But there's a third category, and the third category is the things you need to do. And I said to you that this category is the most unthought of category of all three, but according to research, this is the category that drives the other two. The things you have to do and things you want to do, if you do not take care of the things you need to do, the other two fall apart. And one of the great examples for that is, is, is going to the gym, for example. Now, I don't know how, where you are, all are with going to the gym and all that. I have actually, and I, 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 I'm actually serious about this, I've actually integrated going to the gym into my routine now so that I, I, I cannot not go. Right? I, it, it's just part of who I am. And I can tell by looking at me like, oh, yeah, that guy goes to the gym. It, it's really to eat chicken wings. That's really the reason I go to the gym. It's my, it's my caloric balance or however we're going to look at it. But the point is this. There are many of you who have gym memberships who haven't seen your gym in quite a long time. And your gym people are quite happy by that, by the way, just so you know, taking out your monthly pay for your uh, membership for a place you'd actually never go. These are the things that we need to do. But the problem is the want and the, and, and, and the, and the, and the have kind of cancels it out. Our decision-making process is actually really important. And what we decide to do with ourselves, what we decide to do with our time, actually reflects who we are as people, as individuals. And again, that's kind of scary because when we think about it, we start actually looking at our decision-making process, we realize, oh, there are things in my life that actually I'm deciding to do and I don't realize that there's things I can't do. I've said this before, I just want to remind you, every yes is a no to something else. None of you possess infinite time, infinite resources. It's finite. In other words, you only have a certain amount of time in your day, a certain amount of money in your bank account or, or whatnot, maybe less than you would care to admit to, but we only have a certain amount of, of resources. And how we spend those resources, every time we say yes to this, we are saying no to something else. That's what decision-making processes look like. We wrapped up last week by looking at Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. And remember, Matthew 7 is the end of the Sermon on the Mount, right? Jesus is wrapping up these, these couple of chapters of really deep teaching of what the kingdom of heaven looks like. And at the end of it, Jesus wraps up the teaching by saying this, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. It's important. You can take that word does and actually replace it with decides. Only the person who decides to do the will of my Father will enter the kingdom of heaven. And what Jesus is not so subtly saying to us is that you can say that, you know, I follow Jesus. But if, not, if you do not create space for that, if you do not decide that, you cannot use the word Lord, Lord, right? The, the term Lord meant, say, someone who is superior, someone who is, who is above, someone who you follow, right? Someone you serve. If you make that statement but don't actually live a life accordingly, there is a disconnect in what that looks like. 
So that's what we talked about last week. And someone had emailed me this week. Just to let you know, all, all the teachings on Sunday mornings are online on our website there and uh, with the notes as well too. So if you miss one or, or anything like that, you can kind of go there and take a look at it. This morning you saw a video from a TED Talk by a guy named John Francis. John Francis is a very interesting individual, and I, I would recommend all of you to kind of watch the entire, entirety of his TED Talk. In 1983, John Francis stepped down to walk, and, and for the next 22 years, he trekked and sailed around North, Ameri- North and South America, carrying a message of respect for the earth. For 17 of those years, he did so without speaking. Now, I don't know about you, but like, that's, that's pretty extreme. And, and as you saw in the video there, and he expands in uh, interviews and, and the blog that he writes, uh, he talks all about this. And he said basically he realized something. He was talking to people so much that he was not listening to them. He wasn't learning. And so as you saw in the video there, the one day became a week, became a month, became a year. And then he decided to increase that. And so the point, 17 years later, for 17 years, he hadn't said anything. And so that one day, and he talked a little bit about that, but he expands it in his book and his blog. He says, he gathered all his friends and family together on Earth Day, and he decided he would speak after 17 years. But after 17 years, he couldn't remember what his voice sounded like. So when he said something, he had this moment of like, and again, he said that in the video there, who's saying what I'm thinking? Like, I don't know about you, if you can imagine that, but for 17 years, you know, not hearing your own voice, my wife's probably thinking, that sounds fantastic. And my husband, maybe, uh, you know, maybe not 17 years, but maybe more like 20 years type of thing. But um, the idea of not speaking, right? So in the silence, and he talks a little bit about this, and this is what John Francis says about silence. Silence is always with us, but we do not choose silence. Silence chooses us. If you are called to be silent on your journey, recognize the invitation as a great gift. It is a gift to be shared with others. Your relationship to silence is one thing that will define the uniqueness of your journey. This morning, we're going to wrap up Simplify, and I want to take you a little bit. First, I want to recap this series because I need to show you where I want to take you this morning. So we're going to look, up, we're going to look back over the last three weeks, and I'm kind of going to expand a little bit of where we started off with. And this morning, we're going we're gonna to wrap up with talking about this idea of silence. And at the end of the service, we're going to have a time of silence. And I'll explain to you what we're going to do that in a, in a moment. But let's talk about first week one. Remember I said to you in week one, I wanted you to declutter your life, right? Remember that video we saw a couple of weeks ago with that hoarder, right? That individual who had like everything and had bugs in his house and, and like, like, old like receipts and food and like you, we, we looked at that and one person said to me afterwards that they were just shivering and they wanted to kind of clean up the house up another person said to me that they they went home and decluttered their their place and i said to you when i first started the series off i cleaned my office like i mean like i gutted it i got rid of stuff my wife was actually asking where some of the stuff was and she doesn't know but i threw some of it out but that's okay um they, like you just declutter right we, we we gather so much stuff right but i said to you looking at your life you want to declutter. You want to say to yourself, what is important and what is not important? What is valuable and what is not valuable? Right? So we want to start off the series by decluttering our lives. Remember, we looked at this word haplos, right? And haplos in the Greek meant focused, right? And because Jesus says in Matthew 6, 22, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, and again, that word healthy there, right? Remember I said to you that the verse doesn't really make a lot of sense when he talks about the health part, unless you're an optometrist. But when you understand what he really means is saying focused, right? If your eye is focused on what needs to be done, then your entire body is healthy. And he says in the next verse that if your eyes are unfocused, 
In other words, just looking at everything, being distracted by everything, you become unhealthy. And so we looked at this idea of saying, okay, however we want to talk about our following of Jesus, it has to be focused. It it has to be intentional. You have to choose, you have to decide for that because there are things that want to pull you and distract you from that. So the week one was to say, okay, let's declutter our lives. Let's declutter our schedules. Let's kind of try to create space for God. Week two, we looked at the idea of the desert. We look at the passage of Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. So when, when God led Israel out of Egypt to the promised land, again, that journey we know about in the Old Testament, the reason God used the wilderness, because if you look on a map, there's actually an easier way to get from Egypt to Israel. Right, but he took him on a on a kind of a circuitous uh, circuitous route. He took him on a on a way of saying, "Okay, I need to take you in the wilderness so that I can test you." Remember, we talked about the analogy of the cup, right? Our lives are like this cup, and when we get bummed, whatever's in the cup comes out. That's our hearts. Sometimes we can hide behind, you know, uh, a good job or a relationship or things are going well and everything seems okay. But when we're bumped, we're a little bit surprised what comes out. Or when others are bumped, we're a little surprised at what comes out. Oh, wow. I didn't know that was there, right? So God uses the wilderness to say, okay, let's make sure you understand what's really going on here. And we talk about this idea of the process of the desert. And the process of the desert is first starts off with separation, right? And I said to you that first you must be separated from what is comfortable. That is the first step of the desert. Because unless you are separated from what's uncomfortable, from what's comfortable, sorry, you can never really grow in what God wants. The second part is testing. In the desert, you are tested. And that testing is to remove comfort, to remove resources and see, okay, what's in your heart. But the third part of the desert is a revelation. Once you are separated, once you go through the testing, then we hear God's voice. That's where the burning bush happens. That's when the pillar of fire happens. That's when the small voice in the mountain happens is after we've gone through that, that, that process. And so because of it, we have to understand that the desert is this calling from what is comfortable, calling from what is, what is, uh, what is familiar into what is unfamiliar. And every one of us in this room, if we can be honest, we can say to ourselves, there are times in your life where life went right? Off, off the beaten track. I, I don't know about, uh, I, I, I think about this all the time, actually, about what, like, when I, when I became 40, I, ha- I had my birthday in, in the summertime, and I'm 46 now, and uh, I know I don't look a day over 45, and um, I thought to myself, I don't know if I actually thought about being 46. I don't know if I actually ever thought about, like, a plan. I don't know if I had a plan. Uh, I thought I had a plan. I don't know if I did have a plan, but where did I think I was going to end up when I was 46? I, I don't know if I ever thought about that, right? But I did say, okay, I had this general idea of where I want to go with my life. But the funny thing is, though, that life never really works that way. Life doesn't play by your rules. Whether it's loss of uh, health, loss of relationship, loss of job, whatever it would be, life does not play by your rules. And in that moment, we have this opportunity to kind of learn to grow. And, and whether we like it or not, God can use those opportunities, those times in our lives where we feel like in the desert place or where we feel cut off from what is familiar, if we feel cut off from all these things in our lives that we, we want, the comfort that we want, God reaches in and says, okay, now that I have your attention, 
Let's have a conversation. Right? It's no wonder why in our culture, when there's calamity or when there's disaster or when something horrible happens, people use phrases like we're praying for. Why? Because suddenly the control, the illusion of control is ripped away from our lives and we remember, oh, we are not the masters of our lives. And control is an illusion. So what do we go, where, where, where do we go next? And so that was the idea of the uh, desert. And last week, we talked about this idea of deciding Jesus. Now, what I mean by that is simply this. We looked at three stories about individuals who encountered Jesus, and, and they had a choice and decision. The first person we looked at was a rich young ruler. Remember this rich young ruler, this individual, this man comes to Jesus and says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life, right? And Jesus lays a trap for him. He says, nobody's good except God himself, Right? And so then Jesus says to the rich young ruler, listen, this is what you need to be good. And what's the response from the rich young ruler? This is how deluded he is. He goes, all these I've done since I've been a child. And everyone's listening. Oh, this guy, very good. Oh, yeah, that's very good, right? And Jesus looks at him. And in Mark's gospel, Jesus looks at him and loves him and says, no, 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 no. One thing you lack. Now, when Jesus says one thing you lack, wouldn't it be a great thing, the thing you don't really care that much about? You know, one thing you lack, you need to eat more wheat, or you need to eat more protein, or you need to have more vitamins. Like, okay, I can do that. But Jesus looked at this guy's heart. He says, one thing you lack, sell everything you have and come follow me. And what the Bible tells us, his face fell because he was very wealthy and he left, he left that day. He chose himself over choosing Jesus. The second person we looked at was Mary and Martha. Right, so we know the story. Martha's in the kitchen because these 12 disciples just show up out of nowhere, right, with Jesus, and they're hungry. So Martha is doing what all good hosts do, is going into the cupboard to see what food they have, you know, sending out for whatever they need to do, right, to help these people. And, and where's her sister Mary? She's sitting at Jesus' feet. Martha comes out of the kitchen, you know the scene, and she says to Jesus, Jesus, Rabbi, my sister. And I think what she really meant to say, my good-for-nothing sister, She's here doing nothing while I'm out here trying to prepare for all of you. Could you tell her to come join me, please? Remember what Jesus says to her? He looks at her and says, Martha, there's a great many good things out there. Mary has chosen the great thing. That's me. And we looked at the word parapos and that idea of being distracted. It's, it's, this, it's this Greek word that Luke uses. It's, it's kind of a combination of, of noise and, and lots of things for eyes, right? So it's, you're distracted. And, and Jesus says to, Mar, uh, to Martha, Martha, you're distracted. Mary focused, right? She knows what's important. It's me that's important. We'll figure out the food thing. I'll, I'll send Peter out to take care of it. Uh, don't worry about that, right? But come, sit, learn. Let's have a conversation. Let's, let's, let's have a relationship, right? And so in that moment, Martha cho- chose what was good. Mary chose what was great. And finally, the final story we looked at is the Canaanite woman. Now remember, that story kind of can bug us a little bit, right? Because this woman comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, my daughter, my daughter is plagued by an evil spirit. Can you help her? Now, this is something Jesus has been known to do. But remember Jesus' response? He says to her, I haven't come here for you. I came for the Israelites, right? It's not right for the, for the dogs to be given the scraps from the table or, or, or something like that, right? So basically, Jesus calls her a dog. 
And you sit there going, whoa, that's not the cute, cuddly Jesus I know. I've never seen that on a bumper sticker. That's the worst meme ever. Like, like that, that's not right. But Jesus is doing something. He's testing her, right? Because remember, she comes to Jesus and says this, Jesus, son of David. She's a Canaanite. And she's using Jewish language to describe Jesus. And Jesus knows she's trying to manipulate him. Because how would a Canaanite know about a Messiah and all this type of thing, right? And so he pushes back and says, okay, you know the language, but do you really know what you're talking about? And then she comes back to him, and this woman's brilliant. She goes, yes, but you know what? Even the dogs get the scraps. Even, even these individuals who, who are outside of, of, of what the kingdom of heaven looks like, they deserve mercy. And Jesus says to her, you have great faith. At this very moment, your daughter is healed, Right? Choosing Christ despite the obstacles. Ah, I don't know why we haven't figured out that the closer we draw to God, the more the enemy wants to distract us, hurt us, harm us, hinder us, whatever it would be. Ever had a, a moment where you feel so close to God, and then you, you walk out, you, you, you have a few minutes away from it, like you get a text or a phone call or someone bugs you or something happens, you're like, ah, I just had that mountaintop experience. Now I'm in the valley, right? You have to understand something. The enemy knows how fragile, frail, soft we are. And in those moments where God has our attention, our focus, he just wants to bump the glass a little bit more, right? But in the obstacles, we can choose Jesus. And again, Matthew 7, 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, right? But only who on the person who does the will of my Father. So this is the road to simplify. This is, this, these are the steps, and this is where we want to end off today. We declutter. We are in the desert. We are decisions. I know, it's like, I, have another, I, I actually thought about another D. Denoise? Uh, is, that, is that a word? Or... or I, I, I literally couldn't think of one, and I'm so sorry for those of you looking for the other thing there. But this morning, what we want to talk about is silence. Because as we simplify our lives, this is the last step. This is the last step to simplify. And it doesn't go where, I thought, uh, where you thought maybe perhaps it should have gone. But what I've realized something here is that we are so... We're inundated by so much that God is like, hey, 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 oh, hey, hey, oh, I, I, I just, oh, ah. And like, we have, our, we have music on, we have things going on, we have things going on, going on. And we are not providing the space for God to hear us. Someone came to me the other day and said, how do you hear the voice of God? Step one, shut up. Oh, okay, all right, that's step one, got it, right? We have not created space for God to hear it. So I wanna talk a little bit about silence this morning and just talk about it briefly. Now, one of the things you need to understand is more and more research is coming back to us telling us how important silence is to our lives. I came across a guy named Imke Kirst from Duke University. Uh, they put together an entire study. Uh, um, him and this, his, his old group put together a study on silence. And he says this, we saw that silence is really helping uh, the new generated cells to differentiate the, uh, into neurons and integrate the system. Since some types of mental illness like depression are linked to a lack of new brain cells in the hippocampus, research into the connections between silence and mental health seems a logical next step. What they're saying is, in silence, your brain 
begins to create neurons that are necessary for mental health. And I was like, wow, that's really interesting. They go on to say this. In more recent study on humans, neuroscientists discovered that when your brains experience times of silence, when there is, there is margin in our daily calendar, they actually develop the capacity for what? Empathy and creativity. MRI scans demonstrated how our brains benefit in these two areas from the reduction of noise and activity. Empathy is something that's lacking a great deal in our culture. To the point where you're like, oh my goodness, do you not think about what you should say before you say it on social media or, or anything like that? Like, perhaps you should have a moment of, of, of stopping, right? Like, there is so much polarization going on in our culture where this person, that person, and regardless of your place or your position, there seems to be a lack of empathy, a lack of caring about somebody else and caring about where they're at. And, and what the studies are coming across saying, listen, your brain... It needs silence. It needs silence to become healthy. And this is so interesting because the Bible says the exact same thing. We started off this series looking at this verse, and I said to you, for many of us, this verse feels kind of comical. And Psalm 4610 says, be still and know that I am God. But we look at this and we kind of chuckle. Be still? Who's still? I can't even nap properly. I get like six hours of sleep or five or four or all-nighter or whatever it would be. Who could be, be still in that, right? But the writer tells us something. In stillness, we have the opportunity to know who God is. So why is it that we, we just over-schedule our lives so to the point where we stillness has seemed like it's almost like a myth. It almost seems impossible to achieve. And so what the writer is telling us and what we see throughout the Bible is this concept of saying, you are too busy to hear God. You are too busy to experience God. You are just too oversaturated in noise and and, and, and sight and all these things that God cannot break through that. And because of that, your brain is tired, your body's tired. There's a physiological repercussions to that. Um, A guy by the name of Francis Schaeffer uh, a great writer, uh, kind of more of a Christian mystic, an apologist. He wrote this article uh, called No Little People. And he says this, people today are afraid to be alone. This fear is a dominant mark of our society. Many now ceaselessly sit in the cinema or read novels about other people's lives or watch dramas. Why? Simply to avoid having to face their own existence. He goes on to say this. Oh, Sorry. I had it up there. Um, no one seems to want and no one can find a place of quiet. Because when you are quiet, you have to face reality. But many in the present generation dare not do this because on their own basis, reality leads them to meaningless, meaninglessness. So they fill their lives with entertainment, even if it's only noise. The Christian is supposed to be the very opposite. There is a place for proper entertainment but we are not to be caught up in ceaseless motion, which prevents us from ever being quiet. Rather, we are to put everything second so we can be alive to the voice of God and allow it to speak to us and confront us. So what Francis Schaeffer is saying, and he wrote this in the early 70s, by the way. This article is, is like 1976, if I'm not mistaken. And what's amazing about this article is, is he's looking at this generation, he's saying, listen, you are so distracted, you're looking for things to distract yourselves, it is no wonder none of you hear from God. It is no wonder none of you experience God. 
There is an entire generation growing up right now within Canada, within North America, within Western culture, who the idea of God seems kind of antiquated. Why? They are so overcommitted in their lives. They are so overcommitted in, in their schedules. And that moment of silence and of peace and of quiet, that place that you need to be to hear from God, that is the part that is missing from our walks with God. Even this morning when you walked in, there was music playing. We sang songs, right? And we, we did all these things, but you, your eyes, your ears are filled with stimulus. But God says, listen, what if you showed up to church and there's absolute silence? You're like, that's the best nap I ever had. Like, uh, these chairs are really comfortable. But the Bible tells us that silence is actually where God speaks. Silence is actually where God speaks to us. Take a look through the Bible here. This is a great verse in 1 Kings chapter 6, verse 7. And I want to point this out to you because the writer of Kings puts this verse in and just leaves it there. And I remember coming across and going, what? In 1 Kings, it says this. In building the temple, by the way, the temple to the Israelites was a central place of worship. Very important. In building the temple, only blocks dressed at the quarry were used and no hammer, chisel, or any other iron tool was heard at the temple site while it was being built. The writer goes out of his way to say, when we built the temple, we did all the noise away from it. So there was this reverence, this silence at the temple itself. Now, I thought it was interesting that the writer would put this verse in there because they can say, well, we built the temple, it's beautiful, it's huge, and we come there to worship God. But he says, before that actually happened, when we built it, we made sure that it was silent, it was quiet. Because for some reason, we think that better reflects God. We see this again in um, Psalm 131. My heart is not proud, Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful me. But I have calmed and quieted myself. I am like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child, I am content. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, both now and forevermore. Psalm 131 is one of the obviously more shorter psalms. The phrase it uses there is a weaned child. Now, for those of you who don't have children, let me tell you something. When a child is hungry, there is no greater force on this planet to annoy somebody because they scream, they're angry. Okay, actually teenagers are the same thing as well too when they're hungry as well. Um, but when, you, when, when a child is hungry, they're like, they are agitated, right? And so the first thing that, that you know, a mother or father does is like, okay, let's, let's feed this thing. This, this little parasite. Let's feed it, right? Because it's hungry, right? But now the psalmist is using a kind of an analogy here. He's saying, listen, I'm quieted before the Lord because I have just been fed. I've just been nursed by my mother. And I am now content. Babies have the best face after they've eaten because they're like, right? They're just, they're just like dozy and they're just content. They have this like, you know, funny grin on their face like, you know, they just, they just have that, that moment, right? The psalmist is this. When you sit before God, you have the same feeling of a baby who's just been nourished. I have calmed and quieted myself. I am like a weaned child with its mother. I am contented in the presence of God. In that quietness and that silence, I am, uh, I am content before God. We looked at this verse uh, a, f- a few weeks back, but um, in 1 Kings 19, right? Elijah the prophet is fleeing from the prophets of Baal. He's fleeing from Jezebel. He goes to the mountain, and you know the story, right? 
Earthquake, not God. Fire, not God. Wind, not God. Elijah. Oh, that's God. In the gentle whisper, Elijah felt the presence of God. He covers his head as a sign of respect and and reverence before God. He leaves the cave and there's God waiting to speak to him. Right? You see the sense of the quietness there. Not only do we see this in the Old Testament, but Jesus himself practiced silence as a part of his own spiritual practice. We see this time and time again. The Bible tells us that Jesus was always around crowds. I can't imagine Jesus' life. I, I can't. Everywhere he went, somebody wanted something from him. Everywhere he went, somebody wanted to test him, to trip him up. Everywhere he went, he was always constantly drawn into something. And so it's no wonder that Jesus himself says, okay, I need to find time with my father. He goes off to him by himself, right? What the Bible tells us time and time again, the disciples find Jesus like, what are you doing over here? We were talking over there. And he's like, I know, I just need some quiet. Right? I just need some quiet. Jesus himself practiced this idea of separation to have quietness before God. Now remember, right? Like Jesus is, is living his life to teach us. He knows all this. He is God. But he's, he's, he's living his life in such a way so that we as human beings can look at him saying, okay, why? Why? Why does he go away off on, on his own? Why is he praying all night long? Why does he do these things? Because Jesus is trying to show us what's healthy for us, what's important for us. And so the biblical pattern is that quietness is what God wants from us, how God uses us. And not only that, though, there is a great deal of, of history on monks, on the monastic understanding of silence. Uh, the Benedictine order uh, of silence is a, is a quote from Psalm 39. It says this, I said, I have resolved to keep watch over my ways that I may never sin with my tongue. I've put a guard on my mouth. I was silent and was humbled and refrained from good words. When you enter into the Benedict order, and if you take a vow of silence, not everyone does, this is what you recite before it. Now, before you take the vow of silence, in, in the monastic tradition, you have to clarify, obviously, while you can still talk, how long this vow of silence goes for. Now, I don't know how many who have actually um, visited uh, a monastic retreat center. You can, um, there are, are, around this area, there's ones you can visit. I actually, uh, many years ago, went on one myself too. And uh, what you do is you enter into the life of the monastery. And what's interesting about that is in the monastery, they have times for talking. It's usually around mealtime. And the rest of the time, you don't talk. You have vespers in the morning. You'll hear someone recite scripture. But the day, you just, you go through the day. And whatever you're doing, it's silence. Right? Because they are trying to create this place of contemplation, of reflection. And they understand what we have forgotten. Contemplation and reflection doesn't happen when you have your earbuds in your ear. It doesn't matter if it's worship music, by the way. It doesn't happen in, 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 in the city where it's like noise, 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 right? I kind of think the Grinch might have actually had a point, right? When he's talking about Christmas, like all oh, these noise, the uh, palumpas and the palumpas, I don't know, whatever else it is, right? He's like this noise, 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 right? I kind of think he might have actually had, had a point there. So what we see throughout history is, is that there's silence is, what, is where God speaks. Mother Teresa when she talks about silence, says this, and I think she, she herself, uh, I think, captures it perfectly. 
In the silence of the heart, God speaks. If you face God in prayer and silence, God will speak to you. Then you will know that you are nothing. It is only when you realize your nothingness, your emptiness, that God can fill you with himself. Souls of prayer are souls of great silence. I'm asking you to simplify your life. I'm asking you to make choices for your life. But I'm also asking you to create spaces for silence. And I've actually done this this week. So when I, um, when I deliver Milgram from my office, I'll have an audio book on or a podcast or a sermon. I like listening and because I don't have a lot of time to read, especially when I'm driving a truck. It's not really recommended to read a book when you drive a truck. Um, I, I'll have like a speaker and I'll listen to a book or I'll listen to uh, a podcast or whatnot. Over the last couple of weeks, I've actually not had my speaker with me. And I want to tell you something. I hated it. Like, there's so much silence, right? There's like nothing talking. And the first part of it, I, I really did not enjoy it because it was just too much silence. But when I pushed through the uncomfortableness, something happened. My mind kind of flipped a switch of like, rather than speaking or listening to somebody else, I just, I became, I became more contemplative and started listening to God. And it was interesting because even when I stopped to deliver the milk or even when I stopped to do something, I was using very few words when I was talking to, to, to one guy I didn't even say anything to. Like I just gave him the receipt and took off, right? Like it was, it was weird how when I started inviting silence into my life, I became more contemplative. I'm going to close with this passage of scripture from, um, from Lamentations. The book of Lamentations is a very interesting book. It's written by the prophet Jeremiah who was younger. We don't know how old, but we think he was a younger prophet. One person said 1819. That may be correct. We don't know for sure. But the language, the writing, he, he's, he's definitely younger. Jeremiah wrote the book Lamentations. Lamentations is a lament. It is a, um, it is a sad song about the demise of Israel. And in the middle of Lamentations, he says this, the Lord is good to those who hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. The book of Lamentations is a book of, of, of sadness, of what, what, what has been. And, what, and then we, when you look at Lamentations, he keeps looking back at Israel and the decisions they made to go away from God. Well, in Lamentations, he says, listen, that was the past. How do we fix the future? And this theme of silence, of reflection, of meditation before God keeps coming back through the book of Lamentations. And he says, listen, whatever God has for us in the future, however he wants to redeem Israel, however he wants to change the future, let's just sit quietly before him. Let's just let God be God and let's sit before him. So here's what we're going to do. As we close this morning and as we do... um, Every week, pretty much, we have a time of reflection. And I'll usually give you about 10 seconds and I'll say something and, you know, there you go. But what I want to do this morning is I want us to have a time of quiet. Now, let me just walk you through what's about to happen. We're just, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray and then we're going to say silent. Now, what's going to happen is every sound in this room is going to become amplified. Someone's going to shift in the chair, you're going to hear it. Someone's full my beep, you'll hear it, right? Because when you are silent, sound becomes so much more amplified. And some of you are going to get very uncomfortable. Is he going to say something? Is this over? Did he fall asleep? 
like, what's going on here, right? You got to push through that. Now, it's not going to be a half hour time of silence. That's, that's a little bit much. But it is going to be an extended time of silence. And what I really want you to do is just sit before God. I don't want you to say anything to God. I don't want you to ask for anything from God. The only thing I want you to say to God is, speak. Speak to me. You're like, what? (laughs) Did you know that God wants to speak to you? He wants to have that opportunity to have a conversation with you. He knows your prayer. He knows your life. He knows what you're struggling with. He knows all these things. But he just needs some quietness to speak to you. So what I want to do is I'm going to pray in a moment, and then I'm just going to allow some silence to take place. And then I will pray at the end so you know it's over. So you, we are all on the same page here. If you fall asleep, enjoy. Um, if, you, uh, if you are distracted, it's okay. If you are distracted, get your Bibles out and just read through Psalm 131 or, or something like that. If you, need, if you need something to help you to focus. But I just want to give you the gift of silence as we talk about silence. And I'm hoping that God can fill that space up and speak to you about whatever it is you need to hear from him. Maybe it's he loves you. Maybe he's still with you, hasn't abandoned you or forsaken you, whatever it would be. So let's bow our heads. I'm going to pray. I'm going to give some time for silence. I'm actually set my timer on my phone. And then I will pray again to wrap up this time. Dear Lord Jesus, I pray you would send your spirit right now, which is already here. And I pray, Holy Spirit, you would speak to us. I pray, Lord God, that in the silence that's about to happen, that we would hear from you. And God, Lord, I know it will be distracted. I know that sounds will be amplified, shifting, coughing, uh, whatever it would be. And I know know that's going to happen. But Lord, I pray you'd help us to push through that And all we would say to you silently is, speak to me, Lord. Speak, your servant listens. So God, we give this moment of silence to you right now. And I pray, God, you would fill it with your words. In Jesus' name, amen.